Hey Trojan fans, it's time to get into the huddle with the Peristyle Podcast. The Peristyle Podcast is your weekly ticket to USC football and recruiting news. Don't forget, you can download the podcast 24-7 at our new website, peristylepodcast.com. And now, here's the host of the Peristyle Podcast, uscfootball.com publisher, Ryan Abraham. Hello, Trojan fans, and welcome to episode number 160 of the Peristyle Podcast. Today is March 7th. 2011. We've got a great show for you this week on the podcast. We've got a lot of recruiting talk to get to later on in the show with Gerard Martinez. USC had a huge junior day, 130 kids that were on campus. Wow. Uh, Lane Kiffin really knocked this one out of the park. Tons of great talent over there at USC. We're going to talk all about that. Probably can't get to an update on every single one of those guys, but we'll talk about some of the major names that were over there and a bunch of the updates we've put up on uscfootball.com over the weekend and we're going to talk with coach harvey hyde we got some questions for him a little football 101 knowledge to share so we got a lot of stuff going on there if you have any questions or comments you can always drop us an email podcast at uscfootball.com is our email address we'd love to answer your questions or you can give us a call leave us a voicemail those are fun too we can play your voice right on the podcast 206-888-6755 is the phone number that's 206-888-6755 Six seven five five, and we're joined in the first segment by our friend, Coach Harvey Hyde. Coach, how you doing today? Ryan, I'm doing great, buddy. I spent last week up in Las Vegas. Uh, a lot of events going on up there. I enjoyed it. I went over to the WCC basketball tournament, did some time there. NASCAR, of course, of course, was in Las Vegas, so a lot of people were there for NASCAR. Had a chance to go by UNLV and watch spring practice and just had a great time. It really is a city for special events now. You know, in Las Vegas now, they have the WCCC basketball tournament. This week, uh, they have the WAC basketball tournament and the Mountain West basketball tournament. All in Las Vegas as March Madness hits Las Vegas. It is absolutely amazing. And I know other casino and other arenas, there's a lot of arenas in Las Vegas that are going after other conferences. And people really like the opportunity of going, watching their team play, and also having all the different activities to do. I think it would be a great spot for the Pac-10 or now the Pac-12 to pick a location up there and have not only its championship game there in football, but also their basketball tournament. Not taking anything away from Staples Center, of course. But I think it's just a real attraction. Yeah, I'm not going to argue with that. Any, any kind of time I can take a trip to Vegas, Coach, I'm in. Especially if it's covering a sporting event. That's a lot of fun. All right, I'll go to work on it. Yeah, <laughs> cool. Well, I wanted to thank our sponsor, Southern California Tickets. If you wanted to get tickets for that Pac-10 basketball tournament, any other basketball tournaments, even if some of the ones in Vegas, if you're out there or wherever you are in the country, go to sctickets.com. That's Southern California Tickets. Or give them a call, one 800 888 Seven two eight seven. If you need tickets for anything, check that out. And uh, of course, the Pac-10 basketball tournament coming up at Staples, and the women's one as well. So we'll be down there covering those events. But hopefully, uh, if you need tickets for that, go to sctickets.com. They've been our friend for three years here on the Peristyle Podcast, and definitely try to help them out. Uh, they, they're the best, buddy. I tell you, whatever you and I need to go anywhere, and uh, we have a problem, we just call them. In fact, I like calling them even when I don't have a problem. You know why? It's so much simpler. You just call and say what you need, and they ask you, where do you want to sit? 
You tell them where you want to sit, then they ask you, what do you want to spend? And you tell them, and then they call you back and say, how do you like these? And I'll tell you, it always works out a lot easier that way. And you, you know, not just for, it's just for everyone, not just you, because you're a celebrity, right, Coach? Well, I don't know if you call me a celebrity, <laughs> but I'll tell you, they, they do it for everyone. They probably make it tougher on me than anybody. <laughs> Well, let's uh, let's talk about spring ball. You did get a chance to check out UNLV that's already started spring football, uh, and maybe we can talk about their schedule a little bit and compare it to USC's because USC did release their schedule. Uh, practices are still, unfortunately, because of the NCAA sanctions, not open to the public, but uh, USC starts on March 22nd, goes to April 23rd, practices on Tuesdays and Thursdays at 7.25, I believe, I think it's 7.25 in the morning. Uh, which is a little bit crazy and not very media friendly, and then Saturdays at ten thirty in the morning. So that's uh, they're they're spacing them out. I kind of like that, Coach, that for that part of the schedule. The morning practices not too not too keen on that, and then they have their spring game on that Saturday, April twenty third at I believe it's one p.m. And that will be uh, open to the public. That's something that people can't attend. And we had some questions on that, Coach. But what do you think about that schedule comparing it to like what you've seen over there at UNLV? Well, UNLV is a little bit different. UNLV starts practice at 3.45 p.m. Uh, they have the same process. You have to sign in. But uh, it's open to the public. It's open to the public. They encourage people to come and watch spring practice. Of course, there's certain areas you can stand and so on. They start at 3.45 p.m. and they go Monday and Tuesday. They take Wednesday off. And then they come back and go Thursday and Friday. I sort of like that schedule. Why? Because you have the weekend off for players to be able to study and coaches to have some time off and evaluate the week and uh, as far as practice and so on. And you also have Wednesday off to evaluate tapes and so on and give the kids time to – it's a good day to take laps on a Wednesday afternoon so it doesn't conflict with practice. And I think it's a, it's a better rhythm for you. Now, to have practice at 7.25 in the morning – I think there's a purpose for it and a reason. Either there's too many uh, labs in the afternoon in the spring and too many players are missing practice in the afternoon in the spring, so the coaches have decided to go 9.30 or 7.30 to 9.30 and get the kids out of bed. And once they're out of bed, then you know they'll go to class and you'll get your practice done and so on, and they have the rest of the day off. And the coaches have time to break down also the practice videos and so on, and have some meetings with the players in the afternoon. So they've decided to go Tuesday, Thursday, and Saturday. It draws spring practice out a little bit longer. But uh, there's always a reason for doing things. Uh, if the public can't go to practice anyway at 7.30 in the morning, then, you know, that that's, that's tough. It's tough on the media, and the media has to go. If you're a beat writer or you're like you at uscfootball.com. There's certain things you have to go and follow and report to our listeners and so on, and I'll have to do it too. So uh, just part of it, and uh, I don't know, but there's obviously reasons why they went at that time, and and we'll see what happens with it. So, uh, you know, Saturdays will be a big day out there for the media. I know that, but I really am a little disappointed. I really am disappointed that the fans can't go out and watch the team practice. Uh, I, I just think that takes away a lot of the enthusiasm of Trojan football to be able to have past players and alumni and parents, parents now players. Can't parents of players come? They can, can't they? Yeah, you, you have to like make requests ahead of time, but parents and close family members of players can go. Yeah, right. So, 
you know, but it just limits the, uh, you know, the, the fans as far as seeing new players and being able to talk about it and so on. And uh, I, I don't know why they don't lift that. Uh, I think they're waiting for the appeal to see what exactly happens with that. And once that is done and the answer comes out, then I think they'll lift that. But I'll tell you what, isn't it amazing it takes them this long to decide what's gonna, what their decision is as far as are they going to lessen the appeal? Are they not going to change it? What are they? What are they thinking about? I mean, these are supposed to be most of them have doctor's degrees, I think. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know what they're thinking about unless they need to have another trip to the Caribbean where that no one can see them down there, <laughs> or Hawaii, or maybe up to Carmel on the kids' money and you know sneak into some room and have a two-hour meeting and play three days of golf. I'm not. I'm not sure what the problem is, but. Why can't they make a decision on this one way or the other, in favor of USC or not in favor of USC, so people can move on with their lives? Yeah, we should know within a few weeks, Coach, and I think everyone will be happy that it'll be finally over with. Um, within a few weeks. How long have we been saying that? Yeah. When, when was that meeting? <laughs> when did they have that appeal meeting? What was that, a month ago? More than a month. Yeah, I think it was uh, about five we- four or five weeks ago, yeah. Four or five weeks ago, they're still going over the notes. <laughs> On the golf course is what. Yeah, don't don't think these guys aren't playing golf when they come out and play in these uh, beautiful hotel areas they stay in. So on. why can't they stay in a school's dormitory? I, I mean, I'd like to know why can't they stay in a, a hotel, uh, you know, Holiday Inn or leave the lights on or something like that. I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, but they, you notice where they stay, don't you? The Ritz Carlton, Sheridan, Hyatt. All four and five stars hotels, you know, really nice places so that they can really utilize those tools to make their decisions. And, it, you know, I would think the NCAA would get less criticism if they were straight up front and just dealt with it and told people what the deal is and move on rather than just keep it going like this, keep it painful, don't give in, uh, just let them beg for what they're going to get. Hey, man. Enough's enough. These are kids paying their expenses, right? Uh, let's let's move on. Let's lessen the pain for everybody and get it done. I like it, Coach. I like the attitude. Well, let's. Uh, we don't want to talk too much about the NCAA. I think we're no, sick. we don't. People are kind of sick of hearing about. It. But obviously, we will talk more when the appeal comes in. Um, Fast Eddie had a question. We've we've talked about this before on the podcast. I think it comes up quite a bit on the message boards and stuff. He was a little concerned with the way the defensive played, especially the back seven. I mean, we talked about the, the DBs playing 10 yards off the wide receivers and not really disrupting routes at the line of scrimmage. And, and he commented that the linebackers appeared to be playing kind of in no man's land is what he said. And he'd like to see more of those guys up closer to the line of scrimmage, bringing a little bit more pressure on the wideouts and the running backs and the quarterbacks and uh, kind of seeing your, um, your thoughts, coach, going into the second year, maybe – you know, the second year of a staff, they might feel a little more comfortable with the guys that they have and, and take a few more chances like that. What are your thoughts on that situation? Well, you know, these are, of course, just my thoughts, but I can't sometimes figure out when you give a cushion or give a, a receiver a cushion when it's third and seven, third and five, and you're playing eight yards off. Uh, I don't understand that because the guy runs a quick out, they throw him the ball, and it's a first down. I think there's times you have to get up there and challenge those receivers and force them to maybe go for a, 
uh, a different type of route. You you play outside, then you jump back inside. You take the slant away. Use the sideline as a defensive uh, player for you and force them to guess what you're going to do and don't give them cushions. I thought last year SC secondary got hurt a lot of time because of the cushion they gave them. Now, if they don't have players who can play man or come up there and they're afraid they're going to get beat deep, well, you know, then you're recruiting the wrong athlete. You've got to have athletes. You've got to have corners to be able to play great football and defense. You can't be weak at the corner position. So I agree with that. I think that you have to be able to not give the players the cushion. You've got to be able to be a better tackling football team as a secondary. Uh, I tell you, there's one guy, McDonald, who will tackle and hit like anybody. I think he's the best tackler that SC has and has had in a long time in the secondary, and he's coming back. He got hurt last year. I think he's going to be a force. I think he's going to have a great year. And I hope he doesn't get injured again, because I think he's going to be the leader in the secondary. But he loves to hit you, and he can cover too. And uh, as far as uh, the linebackers are concerned, yes. Uh, I thought they were a better football team when Gallipo was in the middle. Nothing against Kennard, but I felt that Gallipo had more charge of what was going on. He understood the middle a little bit better. He wasn't thinking about what his responsibility was all the time. He was able to share the duties and put people in the right position and drop to the right place and so on. And he'd had some experience. To start a young kid in the middle for the first time when he's been a defensive end, he's thinking too much and not playing and not using his athletic ability. And in the defense that Coach Kiffin runs, you know, the middle linebacker is responsible at times for the deep middle. And they got caught napping and they got caught not playing in the right position and so on. And that's very difficult to do for a kid that hasn't played middle linebacker his entire life. So I would like to see Gallipo back in the middle. I think Kennard should be on the field somewhere, strong linebacker, defensive end. Let him play with his great ability. you got to get better linebacker play. I agree 100% and secondary play. And up front, you got to turn the guys loose. you really got to turn them loose. You've got to become aggressive on defense. And you've got to be able to run people down and penetrate and play on their side of the football. And I think that's what the number one thing that USC has to improve on, get better secondary play, get better corner play, get better in your techniques that you're running in the secondary. But guys got turned around a lot. and they, you know they, they weren't in the proper position to make plays in the secondary. They got beat at times and didn't look good at getting beat at times. Uh, not only did they get beat, uh, they looked uncoordinated in getting beat. So you got to put them in a position where they have a chance to be successful. They've got athletes. I think they're going to be a good football team defensively. I think they've got some good recruits in. I can't wait to watch them. And I think they had a great recruiting year on the, on the process of what they did and what their philosophy was in recruiting. And then this year they've got to load up and, and bring in nothing but four and five stars since their numbers will be limited. At least we assume that if the NCAA ever makes up their mind. All right, Coach. Well, thanks for that. Thanks, Fast Eddie, for the question. Um, let's do some football 101 stuff. But there was one other question Casey had. I, I kind of have to answer this one myself. But he wanted to know about updated roster and depth charts for 2011 football team would be available on uscfootball.com. We'll definitely work it on that. It should be early part of this week, today or tomorrow. We'll get that up for you. We, we kind of left the, the old roster in place because with the combine, we were doing some – there was some stuff on the website where we needed to link to the players on the combine, but we'll take the, the 
graduating seniors or the departing juniors and stuff off the roster now. And we'll start adding all of the uh, spring ball early enrollees to the roster. So you'll see all those and we'll, we'll get a depth chart together. There's no official depth chart as of yet, but we'll, we'll give it our best shot, what we think. And then uh, when Lane Kiffin releases one, we'll put that up on the website as well. That won't be until probably towards the end of spring football. But uh, Coach, for Football 101 stuff, we talked about a lot of offensive line terminology and stuff last week on the show. I thought maybe the the running back position, some of the skill position guys we could talk about a little bit, maybe some of the routes. And I know with the running backs, people talk about um, hitting certain holes and things like that. What what are some of the the terminology you you would use when you're talking about running backs or coaching running backs of where they have to take the football or what their blocking assignments would be, things like that? Well, I tell you, there's there's different things you have to talk about. First of all is the handling of the football. It all starts with the handling of the football, the footwork that the back uses. So it's always the same. So a quarterback and back become familiar with each other as far as exactly where that back is going to be for any play that you have designed. So it's very important the timing of the quarterback receiving the ball and giving it to the running back is very important, that the running back always is in the same position. There's no doubt on where the ball is going to be so that the back can really securely hold the football. Tackling today is a whole different thing than what tackling used to be. Tackling today is stripping the football and tackle the guy at the same time. So you don't hold the football where you normally used to hold the football down with your hand over the point of the ball, with the other point going into your bicep. You don't hold the football like that anymore unless you're really running down the field, but you better make sure that someone's not coming up behind you because you're going to strip the football. You hold the football up near to your chest now. If, if you watch the proper way, if you watch your back run today, the nose, his hand is over the nose of the football, but his arm is bent and the ball is next to his chest. So people have a difficult time in reaching in and stripping the football and also, as far as knocking the football out with their shoulder pad when your arm is extended away from your body. So it's very important that you have a correct exchange and you hold the football in the proper method because the tackling methods today, top defense, is strip the football and tackle at the same time. Then also it's very important that you teach your back that you've got to have positive yards. You not, cannot have negative yards. You've got to have a lean to you. You've got to be able to find a daylight or hit a hole. You can't, you can't hesitate. When you hesitate, it causes, costs you momentum and loss of time in the offensive line maintaining a block as far as holding the block long enough for you to find daylight. Now, I like, I like aggressive blocking. I like trap blocking. I like to see different types of blocking so that the defensive line doesn't always get accustomed to the same type of blocking schemes, like area blocking, getting off the football, not being that aggressive, and so on. I like to run right at people. When you see teams today that run right at people and trap a lot and do different type of schemes, teams aren't able to cope with this, with the guard pulling, leading through double-team blocks, chip-off blocks, and so on, because they don't see much of that. I would like to see SC incorporate some of that. SC doesn't do much of that type of blocking. So it's important that I think that, that you give and keep the defensive line off balance so that they don't always think that they're, they've got the advantage. Penetrate and stop that offensive back before he gets started. My idea is let them penetrate 
but then trap them. Let them penetrate and run opposite or trap or run reverses or do things that make them hesitate on defense. You've got to take the aggressiveness away from them. But backs, basically, you allow them to use their God-given ability. You don't overcoach a running back. You've got to make sure you know that you recruited him for a reason because he's a great back. You don't take the ability out of him by overcoaching him. You've got to, of course, teach him to block. You've got to be able to let him know he's a team player, that he's not going to carry the ball on every play. You've got to let him understand by being a complete player, you'll be able to play in the NFL as well as college. We won't substitute you on a third and two. We won't substitute you on a third and ten. Why? You've got hands. You can catch the ball. On goal line situations, you can block. And what that does is help your offense because you don't have tendencies. When certain people are in the game, and they're going to run certain plays. That's why the only time I wanted, had a tendency was when we were in a short yardage situation or on the goal line. When I would bring in three tight ends or two tackles at the ends or and we would just say, here we come, and uh, you know, and I want you to know that uh, uh, you better get ready because we're going to hit this or counter this or do whatever it is. We're going to run at you. We've got to have that confidence that we cannot be denied. And you've heard me mention this term before, breaker. You're going to make it or break it, and that's what we used to call our goal line short yardage offense, breaker, breaker. I would yell breaker, breaker, and those people would run in the game and we'd have a series of plays that we would run. So, and Stanford did that last year, if you remember, very effectively when they had their big running backs in the game and had three big tight ends in the game and just ran right at you, and they scored at will normally against most teams. So a running back is a very skilled position, yet it's got to be a player that becomes tough, be able not to allow turnovers, and be also a receiver. So today... Uh, a running back has many responsibilities and got to be a complete player, not just an old eye tailback that ran 28 pitch every time and just was able to, you know, run down the field. They're a little bit, they've got to be able to run, but they've got to be able to block too. Yeah, one of the, uh, I guess it always comes up when you get a freshman tailback or something coming into the program that's very talented and you can see him break off some big runs. And usually when you talk to the coaches, they always say that, well, he needs to learn the blocking, uh, the blitz pickup schemes and things like that. What What's going through a running back's head when he's back there and it looks like there's a blitz coming? Is he listening to the quarterback? Is he trying to pick up the keys on his own? Like, what do they have to do when they're looking at the defense and he knows that he might have to stay in for blitz pickup? Well, what he has to do is he has to recognize defenses too. And sometimes the quarterback is audibleizing when he recognizes blitz uh, is coming. And then sometimes... You've got to remember they show blitz and they don't blitz. So you've got to be able as a running back and uh, all positions uh, recognize and read the linebackers or read the defensive ends or whoever uh, your blocking assignment is. And you've got to also make sure it's not a delayed blitz. Right now what happens because offenses are reading blitzes so well that the back will step up in there look at the linebacker, the linebacker's not coming, and then he, that back will go out on the route, and then that linebacker blitzes. But he's waiting for that. They call it the delayed type of blitz. So a back has got to be sure the backer's not coming, and also the linebacker or the running back's got to remember to step up and take on 
that linebacker or defensive back or strong safety, whomever his responsibility is in blocking, before he gets a big run at him and has more space. You want to step up in there. You want to put your face in his chest. You want to extend your legs. You don't want to lunge. You want to be down in a position where you can still be there. Yeah, at times you'll go in and cut a guy, but most of the times that doesn't work. You don't like to cut block because guys jump over you and just keep going. But you've got to be able to recognize defenses. You've got to know if he doesn't come, what your route is. You read him. If he goes out, you go in. You run to the open space, so you become a checkoff receiver to uh, the quarterback. And then there's times, too, that you know they're blitzing and your audible is called and everyone blocks solid, and what you do, you're the hot receiver. So what that means, you run to the open area, the quarterback dumps you the ball, and you've got open space to run with the football. So there's different series that you have that you have to listen in the huddle for the call. Some you're blocked no matter what. Some, you, if he doesn't come, you run a route. Some, if you're a hot receiver and they call it, then you're the one getting the ball because they're going to let your guy come and they're going to dump the ball quickly to you in space. And that means you run to the open area in space and you hit, you hit the running back with the ball and he runs down the, uh, down the field. Now you do the same thing with receivers when corners are blitzing and so on where you know that's happening and you run slants behind it or other routes because you know that that corner's leaving him for a minute and he's being picked up the wide receiver by the safety. So there's a lot of things to put an offense together, but it's not all as difficult as it sounds. These kids have learned these techniques all along. It just has all along their years of career. So you've got to just put it together, teach it, don't get too fancy. I think the worst thing I used to see was when my kids were confused because they were trying to throw too much at them. I used to tell my offensive coaches, don't confuse the kids. Let the kids have confidence in the play being called so they can execute it. If you give them too much, then they can't play. If you give them too much, then they're confused. You want them to have the confidence they know the game plan. You know, I would if I was still coaching and I was talking with some coaches about this this weekend, and uh, I would still flip-flop my line. Now, you remember in the old days you used to flop your line left and right when you came out strong side, weak side, and so on. Today you don't see that. You see a right tackle always being a right tackle, a left tackle always being a left tackle. And uh, uh, because of uh, just techniques. But you have to teach them twice as much. You have to teach them twice as much, but you run plays both ways. When you flop the line, you teach them one play, and you either strong side or weak side, and you see the same defenses, strong side or weak side. So I would still flop my line. Of course, I, I, I see the advantage of putting a left hand down when you're on the left side and a right hand down when you're on the right side to give you an advantage as far as taking the proper step work, the pass block, and everything else. But I would think I would still flop my line. You see some teams still flopping their lines, but you don't see many teams flopping your line. And the reason I would flop them is because it cuts down the thinking process. It's half as many techniques you have to learn and half as many defenses you have to learn to read because there's only certain defense that teams run to the strong side and the weak side. So I, I would think that I might still flop my line. I really do. All right, Coach. Well, great stuff as always. Thank you for uh, 
coming on the podcast and sharing your knowledge, and we appreciate the, the questions. Definitely send them in, podcast at uscfootball.com. We'll try to talk some more Football 101 as we're leading up to spring football. Then, obviously, there'll be a lot to talk about when we're watching practices and stuff. But thanks again, Coach, for coming on, and thanks to sctickets.com, and we'll uh, talk to you next week. Buddy, thank you very much. And to all of our listeners out there, thank you very much for being a part of uscfootball.com. And I can't wait to listen to the recruiting segment because, you know, I love recruiting. Yes, recruiting will be coming up right here in 30 seconds, talking to Gerard Martinez. So stay tuned for that. Meet us on the other side of the break for more of the Peristyle Podcast. Tickets, tickets, tickets. SC Tickets is your concert, sports, and theater ticket source. We have the tickets you need to any event worldwide. Football tickets are now available. Call SC Tickets now at 1-800-888-7287, 1-800-888-7287, that's 1-800-888-7287, or visit us on the web at sctickets.com. SC Tickets, concert, sports, and theater. We now return to the Peristyle Podcast and your host, Ryan Abraham. Welcome back to the Peristyle Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Abraham, and we are going to be joined by uscfootball.com national recruiting analyst, Gerard Martinez. Gerard, how are you doing today, sir? I'm doing good. I'm ready to ride shotgun on another Peristyle Podcast. It's fun. You know, we love talking about USC Trojan football and specifically recruiting one of the biggest junior days probably in USC football history happened over the weekend. I was actually out of town, so I need you you got to fill me in on stuff that was going on. I was down in Austin taking a little break, and uh, you and, and Brian Matthews, our new uh, recruiting reporter, and he's going to report on the team and stuff as well. We're both all over all of these stories. There was like a 100-and-something kids down there at USC. You guys were breaking all kinds of news. What was going on down there, Gerard? Yep, uh, Brian and I were uh, working weekends, uh, once again, uh, but uh, it was not actually a headline-type uh, junior day. I mean, there wasn't a lot of news in terms of offers and in terms of commitments. In fact, there were neither uh, from the junior day, but it was a huge crowd, and I think that was probably the overlying thing was just how many people were there at the junior day. Uh, you had uh, estimated 115 or 130 athletes, so that's over 250 overall people with parents and coaches and uh, everybody just on campus for presentations and tours. And there was no actual one event uh, that the kids went to. And usually with junior days, they have a basketball game or something that, you know, that kind of is the end of the day where everybody kind of meets there and is kind of where the coaches are able to spend a little more one-on-one time with some of the more uh, selected few players that uh, are invited to the junior day uh, but this year there was really none of that it was really just presentations and a lot of talk of the new facilities a lot of talk of academics uh, pat hayden uh, gave a speech and uh, obviously there were some position meetings with the players and the coaches and uh, seemed like it was really a positive experience for everybody a lot of the high school coaches that i talked to uh, were really pumped up and, and just uh, fired up about the direction of, of usc and where the football program is going yeah, I was saying, that what what kind of goes on at these junior days, Gerard? Like, they, they go down there. It's a little bit different than I think some of the junior days in, in years past is because there wasn't a basketball game, a home basketball game this weekend. Yeah, it all pretty much uh, was about the presentation of, uh, 
you know, the new facilities and, and kind of where the program stands right now. I think there was a lot of questions uh, from kids and parents in terms of the NCAA and, and how things are kind of uh, being divided up in terms of scholarship offers from, you know, this point on and, and how many scholarship offers they have to give, how that affects the current athletes. Um, you know, really just a lot of questions about the program and the state of the program. And I think, you know, those were answered. Obviously the coaches do their thing because they're high energized guys and, you know, talking with the, the families and, and talking with the recruits, uh, it seemed like that was really the most important thing to them and just getting a little bit of that one-on-one time. Some kids pretty surprised at the amount of one-on-one time they got with some of the coaches. Um, so it, it's really more of, you know, going in and, and taking the tour of the campus and, and seeing the different facilities, uh, having that video presentation where they kind of give an overview of the program and you start to get uh, more Q&A and then the uh, position uh, meetings that they have where they watch film and they, they get in there with their position coaches and are able to talk with them and kind of see a little bit more of the football side of things and, and what USC is doing with the here and now and how they're preparing for next season. All right, well, let's talk about, there was some news leading into junior day. A couple guys got offers. Uh, first one I want to talk about is the linebacker, Jabari Ruffin. What was going on with him early, uh, late last week? Yeah, linebacker Jabari Ruffin from Downey, California, a 6'4", 230-pound linebacker uh, that got an offer from USC Tuesday and official visit to USC Wednesday and ended up committing on that unofficial visit. Uh, he had quite a few offers. He was really uh, one of those players where his stock was starting to really go through the roof. And an athletic guy, I mean, uh, you know, 6'4", 225, 230 pounds, plays running back plays receiver and plays linebacker. USC is going to recruit him as a will linebacker, but you're looking at a guy that's got to be a pretty good athlete for that size to be playing those skill positions on offense. And uh, it seemed like that's really what USC liked about him. And that's what a lot of schools liked about him. Washington offered him a scholarship when he was a junior back in October. So uh, he's a guy that uh, really started to pick up and become maybe a little more national here over the past couple months and decided to go and take uh, you know, an unofficial visit to USC. Felt like it was a home away from home and uh, just kind of seems like a guy that wants to stay local and decided to commit right away. He is going to still take his visits and still wants to see some other schools and hasn't really been away from Los Angeles too much um, to see you know, a lot of other campuses. Uh, but right now he's pretty pumped to, to be at USC and uh, was at the junior day and hung out with uh, Eric Armstead and, and got to meet with him and kind of became a little close with him. And it sounded like uh, you know he, he – was really pumped up again about the future of USC and kind of the direction of the program. Okay. And then one other kid that got an offer heading into junior day, uh, Lacey Westbrook out of Compton. He actually had a bunch of his teammates were there at the junior day as well. Yeah, uh, Dominguez Dons were there uh, rolling deep at the junior day. They had uh, four or five guys actually at the junior day at USC Saturday. Um, you know, I think uh, with Lacey got in a, he got a scholarship offer and then that Thursday, uh, kind of a little bit of a surprise scholarship offer. You know, I mean, you know, USC with limited rides, you know, how many local offers they're going to get. Uh, Lacey Westbrook, you know, 6'5", 300 pounds, getting some of those comparisons to Shiloh Rochelle just because uh, – I mean, he's a Dominguez Don, and, and he's a guy that's got a good frame and, and could probably play interior as well or exterior. I mean, he could end up being a guy that plays guard or maybe right tackle. That's kind of where USC's recruiting him. Um, and an athletic player, a guy that doesn't carry a lot of bad weight. So he's going to draw some pretty good comparisons. And uh, USC you know, has some room for error, I think, on the offensive line. I think that there's enough talent out there on the West Coast 
um, as opposed to previous years where this year they can go out and, and they can offer more guys and you're going to see you know, a combination of three or four guys uh, that there, there's several different scenarios where USC can have a really successful offensive line class. So um, they can kind of go on some different guys and they want to go on Westbrook and uh, he came down with his teammate uh, Brandon Beaver who it's a cornerback who's another guy that's pretty high, it seems, on uh, USC's board who could be a guy in line for an offer here uh, as we get closer to the May evaluation process. And, um, you know, if they end up offering Beaver, he sounded like he was ready to commit on the spot. And that could be a two-for-one type deal because maybe, you know, Westbrook's, you know, sees his teammate commit and they want to kind of stay together. You know, sometimes there's just momentum built with that. And uh, so we'll see. You know, I, the Dominguez has, like I said, you know, four or five guys uh, that uh, showed up to junior day and four or five guys that are legitimate Division One prospects. Uh, one of the guys that did show up was uh, Alfonso Marsh, who uh, is a good, you know, 6'3", 6'4", 185-pound corner slash safety. Uh, didn't make it to the junior day, but uh, is in contact with USC and is being recruited by USC and is another player that you're going to have to watch out for, and we'll have an update on him as well. So uh, Dominguez got a lot of talent this year, and USC's uh, definitely recruiting it and looking at it hard. Uh, you mentioned one guy that wasn't able to make it. Uh, a couple of USC commits obviously weren't there either. Uh, you know, one of them, Jadon Mickens and uh, Jordan Payton. Uh, those guys ended up up at Cal. Yeah, and and Cal really, I mean, they kind of jumped the gun and, and got their invitations out real early in the process. And uh, those kids uh, basically made plans to go up to the Bay Area. And uh, when they heard about USC having it on the same day, it was just one of those things where they had already made those plans. Uh, so uh, both of them got up to Cal, uh, talked to Jadon Mickens, and, uh, you know, he really liked it and, and, and liked what, you know, Cal selling, the, the whole Deshaun Jackson comparison, and, and uh, went up there uh, Friday, I think, with uh, his uh, godfather and his godbrothers and, um, you know, spent a couple days up there and it really seemed to have a, a good visit. He would say that, you know, the really the only way he would decommit from USC is if uh, his mom, you know, kind of wanted him to decommit from USC and had any issues with USC. Uh, but his mom didn't make it to Cal. She did make it to uh, USC Thursday with Jadon. Uh, they came down uh, that Thursday before uh, the Saturday to be able to take an unofficial visit to USC and meet um, Kennedy Pola and Ted Gilmore, who's a new receivers coach at USC who they'd never met. So that was a good opportunity for he and his mom to kind of talk with the coaching staff and become a little closer with the coaching staff. And I think it was really a smart move by USC to be able to get some of that one-on-one FaceTime with him and his family before he went up to Cal and, and got kind of caught up with that. Um, haven't really talked to Jordan Payton about the Cal visit in depth yet, uh, but uh, talked to him a lot beforehand. And he really just kind of said, you know, is one of those things where, you know, he had those plans made and, um, you know, still committed to USC, uh, still likes USC, but, you know, he's looking at some of these other schools. And um, it'll be interesting, uh, as we talked about last week, with he and uh, Darius Rogers, very similar receiver prospects. And, you know, you got to see if both those guys end up playing that position for USC or one of those guys uh, ends up playing another position and how that affects their recruitment later on. And, uh, you know, with Jordan going up to uh, Cal, it could maybe be an opportunity for uh, – for, for some wiggle room there on both sides of the fence, I guess you could say. So we'll see how that develops. Uh, it's kind of interesting because uh, it, it seemed like for a while Jordan was going to cancel those plans to go to Cal, but uh, still ended up in the Bay Area. So uh, we'll see how that uh, affects his recruitment kind of coming up. Let's talk about the quarterback position a little bit. Um, Shane Dillon was there on the visit from USC, and there's a lot of question whether USC will even offer a quarterback for the class of 2012 just because they they got two really good ones from the class of 2011. 
Yeah, Shane Dillon is a, a big quarterback, kind of got that prototypical 6'5", 185-pound uh, uh, quarterback, a big tall guy, post-style guy. Um, he did go to the junior day visit and was really impressed with USC a lot and got to talk with Clay Helton a lot. And Clay Helton gave him the impression that USC was going to recruit him very hard and they were going to look at him. Uh, they wanted to see him throw. They wanted to see him a little bit during the main evaluation process, which has kind of been um, – a, a kind of a staple of USC, even going back to Pete Carroll as far as offering quarterbacks. They want to see him throw in person before they offer those quarterbacks. And uh, with Dylan, the same thing, but it seemed like uh, Clay Helton at least implied that uh, a scholarship offer you know, might, might be in the works. But it is a question. USC has limited offers this year. You know what happens at the quarterback position on the roster right now? That's going to be another thing that you kind of have to keep in mind. Matt Barkley had a great start to last year, but really struggled. It seemed towards the end of the year, uh, had that ankle injury, but also seemed like he just wasn't throwing the ball the same way since the Oregon game. You know, if he comes off that last year, you know, really kind of on the upswing, a lot of talk would be, well, you know, he has another year like that junior year, he's going to be gone for the NFL, but because he struggled, this is kind of a still a proving year for him. A lot of people are looking for him to still have a breakout year, and that's going to really determine whether he can go to the NFL or not, if he's really an NFL prospect that can go in the first or second round, and not a guy that's going to, you know, people are going to have questions about, and then maybe might slip. So, you know, if you've got four guys on the roster with Barkley coming back, do you really have room to take another quarterback? You don't. You really don't. And, and then it's going to be a, a question, well, if Barkley comes back, maybe that affects Jesse Jesse Scroggins. Jesse Scroggins wants to transfer. What happens with the two incoming freshmen that enrolled in spring ball this year? Do they both redshirt? Does one of them redshirt? Is there some separation between that? You know, there's a lot of questions with the quarterback position and the numbers position because, you know, USC only got 15 to 17 scholarships to give this year. You know, how is that going to affect uh, when you don't really maybe need a quarterback and you do need some other positions uh, in terms of attrition, positions that, you know, you might see more injuries down the line? Oh, yeah, a lot of good points there. We'll, we'll talk about that a little bit more towards the end of this segment. We've got some math, scholarship math stuff to, to discuss a little bit. We had a couple questions. Um, let's keep rolling with some of these juniors. How about uh, Ellis McCarthy, one of, the, one of the best players out West I think we're going to see this year? Yeah, Ellis McCarthy, uh, 6'5", 311 pounds, ran a 4'9", and a 5' flat at the Army All-American Combine in San Antonio, which was a really slow field. Um, probably the def- best defensive tackle we've seen uh, this side of Texas, at least uh, for the 2012 class. And USC's recruiting him very hard. Um, you know, they really want him and, and I think uh, would uh, love to get him committed early. But it seems like he's willing to take his time. Uh, he wants to see some more schools. He's starting to get more and more offers. He's got, you know, about a dozen verbal offers at this point, And really at the point where, you know, a lot of college coaches now are calling up his high school and saying, you know, if, if we offer him, would we have a chance at him? So they're hedging their bets a little bit now. You know, they kind of want to see if he's going to go away from home before they really spin their wheels on him. And uh, whether that happens or not, you know, remains to be seen. I, I think USC is kind of that unofficial leader for him, uh, but he's just not ready to commit yet and uh, was only there for half the junior day, kind of had seen a lot of what's gone on already and, and spent some time with the coaches. And uh, his parents had met the coaches too, so it was a little bit redundant for him. So he ended up even and uh, going to his sister's uh, softball game. So he wasn't there the whole day. And in terms of like an impact visit, it really wasn't a real impact visit for Ellis McCarthy. Okay. Um, let's go with tight end Taylor McNamara. What about him? 
Well, you know, I think, uh, you know, that's another kind of interesting early offer for USC. I mean, some of those offensive linemen you could see and go, okay, you know, there's there's a good amount of depth out there in talent. Tight end position, USC's got to be very selective, and the one guy that they've offered locally is Taylor McNamara. And uh, he went to the visit, uh, was there at USC, was impressed by the presentations, you know, especially academically about what USC had to offer, but didn't really get the sense that he was tempted to commit at all. Um, it'll be interesting to see what happens between he and Jolin, uh, or excuse me, uh, Jalen Cope Fitzpatrick, uh, who is another tight end prospect from uh, Whitney, California, goes to, uh, or excuse me, goes to Whitney High School from Rockland, California, 6'4", 230 pounds, really a good-looking prospect. I mean, he's a guy that we saw last year um, just in a camp situation and really kind of stood out. I mean, he's got a great uh, build to him pretty good athlete. Uh, he did not get a scholarship offer from USC at the junior day. Like I said, there was really no scholarship offers given at the junior day. Uh, but he's a guy that we kind of penciled in early in the year thinking he would might be the top tight end prospect uh, in California. But McNamara is the guy that got the scholarship offer earlier and came in the junior day, and we thought, you know, if, if Jalen uh, Cope Fitzpatrick ends up getting that scholarship offer, maybe it becomes a little more of a, hey, who's going to commit first type thing, and that can kind of spark an early commitment. But uh, at this point, only McNamara has that uh, scholarship offer, and he doesn't seem, you know, real – he doesn't seem like he's under time constraints right now as far as committing and uh, could be a guy that uh, is waiting to go check out some, some schools in the Midwest too. I don't necessarily get the sense that uh, he's, um, you know, just focused on the local schools or playing close to home is going to be a big factor for him. Uh, the other school that he's kind of waiting on in terms of scholarship offers in Oregon too. So, you know, USC impressed him, but uh, certainly didn't seem like he was tempted to commit this weekend. Okay, and then uh, just maybe any other storylines or players you wanted to quite mention that kind of stood out for you from this junior day? Well, I think Scott Starr is a guy that, that stands out. Uh, he's a 6'3", 225-pound linebacker from Norco, a uh, real productive player, a guy that we saw uh, against Crenshaw last year who uh, stood out as just a cerebral, tough Good athlete, um, looks like a real prototypical Sam linebacker for a 4-3 defense, and he really loves USC. He likes USC a lot. Uh, again, not a guy that got a scholarship offer, um, but might be a guy that gets a scholarship offer in the future. Definitely looks like he's got that type of body, that type of build, um, the type of player that you look at off the hoof and say, hmm, that guy is a high Division One uh, caliber football player. Uh, I think with uh, with Star, you know, it's going to be a matter of. You know, what are the numbers at linebacker? I think it's kind of changed a little bit because, you know, with Ruffin getting that offer and, and going after Ruffin early, you know, it looked for a while that this was going to be another year where USC would have to go out of state to get those marquee-type linebackers. Uh, but now, I mean, when you got Ruffin there, who we kind of still have to gauge, where, where does he fit in on the national stage in terms of talent? You know, we'd like to see him in a camp situation. He's a great athlete, but you kind of want to see how he plays as a football player. Does he have the aggressiveness? Does he have the instincts to play in space? Uh, those things kind of remain question marks with him, but he has the potential to be one of those rivals 100 guys, one of those top four-star guys, um, maybe not quite a five-star, but a high four-star type guy, and still, you know, you look at it as a, as a marquee-type linebacker, bringing a guy like Scott Starr who could play Sam, and all of a sudden, you know, now you got two guys in your pocket here that are local that you can kind of sit on. You have, again, a little more room for error. Use that term with the offensive line, you know, talent here in the West Coast. You have a little more room for error at the linebacker position all of a sudden because now you can kind of go off into, uh, you know, Florida or Georgia or somewhere and kind of check out some of those guys nationally 
uh, because you know you got two guys at home that are really good players uh, that you have already committed. And uh, I think Scott Starr is that kind of level guy. We'll see, you know, how the process plays out for him. Um, but uh, I think he's, you know, going to be one of those players that uh, should should have probably all the Pac-10 offers that he wants. Great. All right. So that's a lot of info from the USC Junior Day. And we're going to end the the show on a couple of questions about. Scholarship math, we were pretty much on top of it, Gerard, I would say, with when people were asking about scholarship math leading up to signing day, and we pretty much called it the way it was going to be, and Lane Kiffin came out and said that that was going to be a strategy. It just wasn't one he was discussing all that much. But now there's a little bit more scholarship math talk coming into uh, the, the class of 2012. So here's the, the first question. Uh, it's a voicemail question. Hey, Ryan, this is Dom from Minnesota. And my question for either you, Ryan, or the coach is, with the looming sanctions, what do you think the positional breakdown is going to be of the 2012 recruiting class? So he wants to know about the breakdown of the class. And then we also had a question from Joe saying that if there was a couple scholarships left over from 2011 um, and Steve Dillon still being up in the air, we you know just waiting for an update on that, does it sound like – USC could sign some mid-year enrollee guys for 2012 uh, that would count towards the class of 2011. So what's kind of your overall thought, Gerard, on on what direction USC is probably going to go for this class of 2012? Well, that question was directed towards you and the coach. So I, I was going to wait to hear your opinion on it, but I guess I'll go first. I okay. guess I'll go out on them. Uh, you know, the breakdown is hard to give because – you don't know what's going to happen with the appeal. Um, obviously, you know, we've said all along it doesn't look good. Our sources have just not been real optimistic about USC winning the appeal. Um, but then comes the question of can you carry over scholarships from last year, and which is technically not a penalized year because the sanctions were stayed with the appeal, and bring them over to this year. So instead of having only 15 for this year, you would be able to have 17 because you have two players of that 25 that they didn't bring in for the last class. Does that sound complicated? Does that sound confusing? Yes, because it is. <laughs> so bear with us. Uh, meaning that, you know, you had obviously 30 players uh, signed, including uh, Steve Dillon, who didn't actually sign yet. He's committed but hasn't signed. But, uh, you mean, you had the early enrollees combined with just that full class, which didn't quite make a full class. So not counting early enrollees, you get 25 per class. USC could bring in all 25 if they wanted to. They came up too short. So what I'm hearing kind of sounds to be that they are going to try to be able to bring in two early enrollees on top of the 15 that they have this year. So they can overlap a little bit. They can bring in uh, the early enrollees that count towards 2011 because, again, they're saying that's not a sanctioned year because the, the appeal was stayed and put that over to the 2012 class. So if you get two early enrollees at the 2012 class, you may be able to have the 15 on top of that, which will obviously be good for USC. Uh, it would help them out with the numbers. It really becomes a matter of staying under that 75. That becomes more of an issue of, you know, where are you with uh, that, that 80 to 75? If they don't win the appeal, it's 75. If they win the appeal, it's 80. You know, with that total number of scholarships, that has to change as well. So 
Um, it's really fluid. It's, it's tough to sit there and go, hey, they're only going to take three linebackers in this class. They're only going to take two corners. I mean, I can tell you the positions are really hard after right now, and they're really focused on, obviously, offensive line. It's got a lot of offers that are going out there. It's a great year regionally for offensive linemen, so they should be pushing hard for the guys and that, that are local and they have. Um, I think uh, they're really, really going hard after a cornerback. They need a more marquee cornerback to come into this class. Um, you lose DeAnthony Thomas last year, who they really had circled to play quarterback. They want a guy this year that's really kind of a national marquee guy. Whether he's going to be local or not remains to be seen, but in terms of offers, you can just tell uh, they've gone after nationally corners pretty hard. Safety doesn't seem to be quite uh, quite as, quite as um, urgent. You know, they haven't pushed as hard after safeties nationally as they have corners. It's really a cornerback that they could put on an island out there, uh, somebody that uh, they could kind of make up for, you know, losing Sharice Rice, with, which I, I don't know that they really got anybody back that's that level caliber player uh, as Sharice was. Um, so, they're, you know, they're already losing him this year. They bring in some players, you know, hopefully that, uh, you know, Nikhil Roby can kind of fill in that position, and then they're going to have to have somebody across from him that's able to step up toward Harris or somebody else, but you know, in this 2012 class, they're really going to try to find that marquee guy that uh, that they feel they can come in and probably contribute very early in the program. Uh, linebackers, obviously, position that they're going to push hard after. They got great linebackers last year, but you got to follow up with another class in order to have some depth. Um, that's you know just the way it's got to be. It really hurt USC when they lost. You know, uh, Manti Teo, Fontes Perfect. They had that year where they were capable of bringing in, you know, four or five guys that were going to be rivals 100 type guys, guys that were going to make impact, you know, really early in the year, uh, their freshman year. At the same time, they were losing Kaluka Marea, uh, Ray Maluga, Brian Cushing, Clay Matthews, and it ended up being a complete bust of a year. I mean, they lost Jarvis Jones to a transfer and an injury. You know, they lost Frankie Telford to a heart condition. Uh, they didn't get Manti Teo. They didn't get Vontaze Perfect. It killed them. It hurt them on defense a lot. So this year, it's not like, hey, we got, you know, three good linebackers last year. You know, we can sit on our laurels. No, they got to bring in another good class of linebackers. I think at least two guys, but probably three guys in this class. And then defensive ends seems to be another position that they, they'd like to get a marquee guy, kind of like corner. I think they're really looking at that one guy. You know, it's not necessarily about, you know, how many we could bring in two guys. It's, it's more important about that one guy that they bring in and having that one real good pass rushing type defensive end. Didn't quite get it last year. Uh, got some guys that could kind of play strong side defensive end, maybe move into a three technique, uh, you know, between the guard and the tackle and, and be, you know, a good pass rusher and Interior-wise, but they don't necessarily have that great pass rusher off the edge. It's a that's that six-five, six-four, two hundred twenty-five-pound guy that you kind of put some weight on, and is a speed rusher that develops into a real physical presence. They really want to get one of those guys in there too. So I think that's kind of the feel right now. And I think offensively, obviously, receiver they don't really need a lot of help. Receiver, you know, they're pretty good as is right now. We'll see what, like I said, what happens with Jordan Payton and Darius Rogers, guys that are kind of versatile that could maybe you know play another position. Uh, that might open some things up at receiver. Uh, but running back, I think they'd also like to find a marquee guy. They'd like to find, you know, a real home run hitting type back uh, or a really big time power running back. You know, what, what are the other? It's, it's got to be a real extreme, I think, at one of those, those uh, at, at that position. They've they got to have the big time, Lendell White, you know, 6'2", 6'1", 235-pound type guy that's just, you know, money as far as being a power rusher. Or they got to bring in, 
you know, a guy that's just going to be like uh, the, the Reggie Bush type pulling the guys. They feel like come in and be like, you know, true freshman, you know, give him the ball 10 times a game and he's going to be a game changer type guy. Uh, it's going to be one or the other. So again, it's not quantity, it's quality. And I think, you know, I, I, from just judging from what I said, I'm sure you can kind of summarize that's kind of the theme with a lot of these positions. It's, uh, you know, I, I think with offensive line, obviously, you're kind of looking for both quantity and quality. But for a lot of these positions, corner, defensive end, running back, it's quality. It's trying to find that guy that can really be an impact player. Uh, that can. It's not just, hey, you know, real good player, a guy that can contribute, maybe could end up being an all-conference player. No, they're looking for guys that can come in immediately and be like a Robert Woods type guy at running back or corner or somewhere else. All right, Gerard. Well, hey, great stuff as always. We appreciate you breaking down this recruiting class. Lots more getting getting to that. We'll talk through sp- the whole spring about USC football recruiting, but we appreciate you coming on, and uh, thanks for joining us. We'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Good to talk to you. All right. Everyone else, thank you again for tuning in to the Peristyle Podcast. We'll be back next week talking more USC Trojan football. listening to the Peristyle Podcast presented by uscfootball.com. Be sure to tune in next week for the latest news on Trojan football and recruiting. And don't forget, you can automatically download the podcast directly to your iPod or MP3 player for free. Just click the iTunes link on peristylepodcast.com or search for Peristyle Podcast at the iTunes Music Store.